Well, good morning. We are in our, uh, thank you, that must have been David Goza. Where was I? I can knew that, I knew that voice. We are in our Pioneer series, and I'm actually uh, focused this morning on John Mark. Has anybody heard of John Mark? Is that really it? There's five or six of us? Okay, so there's a few more of us. Okay, somebody asked me this week, who is John Mark, and where is he in the gospel, and why, I mean, why are we talking about him? So here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're actually going to read a couple of these little obscure scriptures about John Mark, and then we're going to pull some things from his life, because he is highly, highly, highly applicable to you and to me. Sound good? All right, I'm actually going to turn around, and I'm going to have Grant put up these scriptures, and we're going to read them together. Mark 14, verses 51 and 52. And a young man followed him, that would be Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. You might not have even known that verse was in the Bible. All right, next. Acts 12. When he, Peter, realized this, he went to the house of Mary, who was the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Acts 12, 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Acts 13, 5. When they, Paul and Barnabas, arrived at Salamis, I'll have to get someone to tell me how to pronounce that later, they pronounced the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. Acts 13, now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Pergia and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Acts 15, now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, also called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Colossians 4, uh, Aristocrus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received the in these instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. They are only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me, Paul. And then the final, 2 Timothy 4.11, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Thank you, Grant. Um, that was my last, wasn't it? So I wanted you to think of something as we get started here. Uh, Mike Lee, I'm, he, he's going to you know, throw something at me later. But uh, Mike Lee, who leads our setup team in the morning, he's here at like 745, and when he comes and he's like a, uh, the, the rising tide, he's like a force to be reckoned with, and he leads a little team that sweeps through this place and moves tables and sets up chairs and sets up our kids' ministry. But I was thinking about Mike because Mike uh, was actually a colonel in the military. So what do you think his guys would have called him who were under his leadership? Colonel, that's exactly right, okay. Then Mike taught at MIT, and he had some Harvard students that he also taught. So what would his students have called him? Professor, Professor. that's right. Now, if you went over and asked Andy, what do you think Andy, that's his wife, what would Andy call him? She's, what? Mike. Mike, sweet Mike, who said that? Sweetheart, okay, yeah, yeah, all right, that's good. If uh, one of the neighborhood kids runs into Mike, what do you think they call him? Mr. Lee, okay, or Mr. Mike, that's right, depending on where you come from. Now, why am I doing this? Mike has all these names, right? 
but they all point back to the same person. And that's what we really just saw in the scriptures. We have this John Mark, and he's, he's called John, he's called Mark, he's called John Mark. But as you look at the scriptures, you can begin to sort of piece together everywhere he appears. And so the question then becomes, where did this guy come from? What's going on in his heart and his mind? How did he become the subject of a big disagreement? Did you see that? And did you think that disagreements didn't happen in the Bible? Such a big disagreement that Paul and Barnabas split ways? Some of you that ought to encourage. Oh my goodness, disagreements actually happened in the Bible. Yes, they did. <clears throat> so, I love, love, love John Mark. And here's why. John Mark is a redeemed failure. What we're going to see is John Mark actually bailed out on the Apostle Paul, and on Christ Jesus, not once, but twice. And that's just what's in the pages of Scripture. So what I love about this guy is he's a normal human. He's got these uh, foibles, he's got these failures, he's this redeemed failure. And there's something about this guy that I identify with. So let's start off with my first point here, which is simply John Mark's story. So John Mark literally grew up in the church. This would be like, you know, Amelia, my little one, she's like 21, 20, actually 23 months old. We got Paul's little one, Hadessa, who's eight weeks. Then we have the newest Ham, Emmy, and Emmy's what? Three, four, weeks. four weeks. Okay, so here, here's what I want you to think. Take one of those little ones and project forward about 15 years. Let's say we're still meeting as salt box and we're maybe in a building by then. Who knows where we are? But those little ones, let's say they've walked with us all along the way for those 15 years. Have they seen some good things? Yeah. Have they seen some hard things? Yeah. Have they seen some people leave the church? Probably. Have they seen some people get their feelings hurt? Probably. Could they have a mixed view of what the church is like? Possibly. Have they developed a deep, intimate relationship with the Lord themselves? Hopefully. Hopefully. But here's the point. You have John Mark, and he literally is growing up like one of these little ones in the church. He's seen the good, the bad, the difficult, and he was literally there for the birth of the church in Jerusalem. Now, I can't find anywhere in Scripture or any historian that puts him anywhere near the Sea of Galilee and Jesus' ministry there. But he was in Jerusalem. He was in Jerusalem. And it's highly likely that John Mark's um, mom's house, his mom's name was Mary, was actually where the Last Supper happened. And it's highly likely, I actually touched on this in a Garden of Gethsemane sermon back in Easter, if you want to go back in our podcast. But it's highly likely that John Mark was actually in the house when Jesus and the disciples were in that upper room. And when Jesus and the disciples sang that hymn and then got up and went out into the Garden of Gethsemane, guess who heard? John Mark. And it's highly likely that John actually went with them and hid in the garden. And the reason we know what happened in the garden that night is because all the other disciples fell asleep, but who was watching? John Mark. John Mark. Now, this is purely Michael, but I think that funny little passage we read about the naked guy that ran away, I think that was John Mark's little signature on the Gospel of Mark. I think that was his way of saying kind of See, guys, I was there, and I didn't fall asleep, and I saw what really happened. Now, in the Gospel of Mark, most likely it was written by the, or it was, um, I should say, the Apostle Peter would have been the source, and then John Mark probably penned it for him. Pretty amazing. 
So very, <clears throat> not only was his mom's uh, sort of house the, the possible site or likely site of the upper room meal, her house also became a center, sort of the epicenter of the church in Jerusalem. So uh, understanding just a little bit um, about uh, John Mark, he, he would have literally been there um, when Peter would have preached his first sermon. He would have been there for Pentecost. He would have seen thousands. What it was four or five thousand? It's the Bible says three thousand, but that's probably counting men. So it would have been four or five thousand or more that came to Christ on that day of Peter's first sermon. And so he literally is watching this entire church erupt and unfold. And then all of a sudden, not only that, but, but he is actually traveling with the great Paul and Barnabas. Now, he's actually related to Barnabas. And <clears throat> here's what I want to now shift and focus on just for a minute. This is John Mark's departure. Now, maybe like some of you who grew up in the church or some of you who knew someone who grew up in the church, you went through a time where you departed. You went through a time where this was hard. I don't know if I believe in it. I don't know if I buy into it. And you depart from the way for a season. So here's what happened. Paul is now traveling with Barnabas and they are literally um, going through uh, and, and planting and starting and founding these New Testament churches all around the known world. And all of a sudden, what it said back in, I think it was Acts um, 13, it said, uh, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and went to Pergia in Pamphylia, and John left them. So John... This is the second time. The first time John bailed out would have been when the Roman soldiers came to arrest Jesus and it says he dropped his cloak and ran away naked. The second time he left is literally Paul and Barnabas are going on to the next phase of their missionary journey. And it doesn't say a lot about it here. It just says he left them. Now, if you look forward into Acts 15, which we just read, it said, Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take him with uh, them, uh, who, <clears throat> excuse me, but Paul thought best not to take him with them because he had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from one another. Barnabas took Mark and Paul chose Silas and departed. Now, what's interesting is um, Barnabas sails right off the pages of history, in, at least biblical history and written history in this moment. It's fascinating. This departure, he sails right off. Now, do I think Paul was totally right in this big disagreement? I don't. Do I think Paul was like us and gets a little, you know, ruffled and whatever? Probably. Do I think Paul might look back and go, well, maybe I could have done or could have said maybe? But here's the point. John Mark, for the second time, bails out. First time he bails out on Jesus in the garden, he runs away scared. Second time, he bails out on Paul and Barnabas. Now, let's give some perhaps. Um, there had been a big shift in uh, Barnabas and Paul. It had actually been um, Barnabas who was the, in the head, he was in the lead, and Paul was sort of his companion, traveling with Barnabas. And all of a sudden, the Lord does something, and it becomes, it's, it's a fascinating transition that happens in Acts, but it's Barnabas and, and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, and then it becomes Paul and Barnabas. And all of a sudden, the Lord sort of elevates uh, Paul. He was formerly known as Saul. And Barnabas takes kind of that second fiddle chair. And it could be that because John Mark was actually related to Barnabas, that John Mark got angry, disappointed. You ever been in a church and it didn't go your way and you went, well, fine. 
Have you ever been somewhere and it didn't go like you thought it should and you went, hmm? I mean, that happens, right? So it may have been that John Mark is literally going along and he was offended or hurt because Barnabas was no longer the lead and Paul is suddenly the lead and he doesn't know why and he stamps out of the door, stamps off the scene, maybe. Perhaps because um, Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to go up to Antioch, so there was literally a road that went up 4,000 feet up it through the mountains, and it was known as the most dangerous road on the planet. The most dangerous road in the known world. So bandits, robbers, all sorts of things. And it may have been that John Mark got scared and said, I'm out. So perhaps he was angry. Perhaps he was afraid. Perhaps he was homesick for his mom. Is that possible? Twice when it ran, it literally says he goes back to his mom's house. Is that possible? Yeah, I think so. Maybe... Like some millennials, he just needed to go back home. That was funnier than y'all gave me credit for. <laughs> you know, I say that, and I want to be vulnerable at a couple points in this sermon, because I hit a point in my life at age 27, and I had to go back home. I had to go back to college. I had to start over in life. And that was a very safe place for me, a little garage apartment that gave me a couple of years to get back on my feet. So I'm not against that. But you can't stay forever. Perhaps at this stage of John Mark's maturity, he was sort of better at the beginning of things, and he hadn't developed the courage and the determination and the perseverance to finish things. How many of us do that? You start something, and you're going, yeah, we're going, we're going, we're going, and then all of a sudden it gets tough, you don't like it, and what happens? We get going. Perhaps that's what happened. But regardless, he bailed out and he failed to finish what he started. He failed to follow through on what he had committed to. Because he had committed to Paul and he had committed to Barnabas and he he chose to leave them. And the next thing I want to sort of talk about here in my third point is Paul's sort of view um, on John Mark and Paul's decision um, to leave John Mark. So what you begin to see is is Paul actually sees John Mark maybe as a deserter or a quitter. Maybe he's even going, this guy is not trustworthy. We can't afford to take him with us because if we do and he bails out halfway through, we're going to be left in the lurch. Have you ever been left like that? You're going, you're counting on somebody, and then somebody bails out on you, and how do you feel? But Paul's going, this is so serious that what we're embarking upon, we need people that we can absolutely trust. He can't just run back home. So I think Paul is actually, and this is Michael's conjecture, but I think Paul is actually going, until John Mark hits a point of maturity, he is not ready to go. And therefore, he is cut from the team. He doesn't make the team. We're leaving him at home. Now, what's Barnabas, who's related to uh, John Mark, what's he going to say? He gets frustrated. He does not like that. He disagrees. No, we should take him. And there's this big disagreement. Now, let me give you an illustration here. I have a number of friends in my life um, who are close, and if something is bad enough in my world that I pick up the phone and say, hey, I need some prayer, guess how bad it is? Really bad. It's really bad. My friends, I got a few, a handful of friends, and I don't do this often, but occasionally I'll pick up the phone and go, hey, I really, I'm, I'm, in, a, I'm in a bad spot. I need some prayer. And they know when I call and say that, it's a serious thing. 
Now, my suspicion here, when we look at John Mark and we look at Dr. Luke, who's writing Acts, when he goes, there's a disagreement that arose, I'm thinking this must be a real frou-frou. Because for him to put in the pages of Scripture that such a a huge disagreement erupted that um, Paul went this way and the Barnabas went, went this way, it must have been enormous. So he and Barnabas, and this is, let me also say, Barnabas is so faithful. Barnabas is the one that went after Paul. In some ways, Barnabas is the one who fought for Paul to become the man that he was. Barnabas believed in Paul when nobody else did. Barnabas went and got Paul and brought him back to do ministry when nobody else saw Paul as even a viable leader in person. So for them to split ways over this is just enormous. But it may be that Paul actually saw John Mark's potential, but went, not yet. Not yet. You know, I'll never forget because I have a seven-year period of, just call it a dark period in my life. And I'd just come out of that, and I had started um, doing the only thing I knew how to do at that time, which was mow grass and do some landscaping. And I'll never forget because... I was uh, running a walk behind lawnmower around a pond um, in actually the neighborhood where you and Jen now live. It is actually the pond behind your house. I've, I don't know if I've ever told you that. But I was actually uh, um, running that uh, a big walk behind um, around this pond, and an older gentleman came out to me, and he said, Michael, what are you doing? And I you know, shut the lawnmower down, and I'm, I said, um, I'm mowing grass. And he said, no, 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 no. What are you doing? I said, I'm mowing grass. He said, no, what are you doing with your life? And I said, I'm mowing grass. And he said, why aren't you in ministry? And I said, because you have no idea where I've been and what I've done, and I'm the last person in the world who would be in ministry. And he looked at me that day, he got kind of up in my face, and he said, you've got a call on your life, and you need to be in ministry. And I said, sir, thank you, but I'm going to go on mowing grass now. And he said, the Lord's coming after you. And I started my lawnmower back up, (laughs) and I went on mowing grass, and that week I actually made a few notes about what I would do or what might happen if I was back in ministry. And I actually, the very next week when I was there mowing that same pond, he came out again. And I had a little piece of paper folded back up in my back pocket, and he came out and stopped me again, and I turned the lawnmower off, and I got off. And he said, what are you doing with your life? And I pulled out my little piece of paper and handed it to him. And he was actually an elder at a church where I started doing youth ministry. I'll never forget him. Because he believed and invested and saw and spoke and even called forth life when everybody else would have said, Michael's washed up. And I think in some way in this passage, Paul is actually fighting for John Mark. I think he's actually going, John is not ready for the weight of this responsibility. But let's give him some time. You know, one of the things that we as parents, we as friends, we as people have to really be aware of is 
enabling those we love, right? And that may be what Barnabas was doing with John Mark. I don't know. But it may be that he was going, no, he's ready, he's ready. And Paul rightfully went, no, he's not. Sometimes we have to get out of the way when life and circumstances apply pressure to the ones we love, don't we? And that's hard to do. It's really hard to do. But regardless, there's some 20 years that pass. And if you'll go to my fourth point, Grant, John Mark's restoration. But some 20 years pass, and then 1 Timothy 4.11 is written. And I'm going to read that to you if I can find it. This is Paul, and Paul's at the end of his ministry. He's at the end of his life. And 1 Timothy 4.11 says, Luke alone is with me, Paul. Get Mark. Get Mark. And bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Twenty years after John Mark bailed out on Paul, Paul's now at the end of his life. And Paul can ask for anybody. There's churches all around the known world that love and follow Paul. And if Paul asked for anybody, do you think they'd come? Yeah. And who do you ask for? Do I need to read it again? Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. The great apostle Paul can ask for anyone, and he asks for John Mark. The guy that bailed out in the Garden of Gethsemane, the guy that bailed out on the apostle Paul, he is so restored transformed, redeemed. And see, Paul's no stranger to being transformed, saved, redeemed. But Paul also knows that that process takes time. Now what I love is early church tradition, and I can't verify this with total certainty, but early church tradition says that not only did Mark go to him, but John Mark went on down from there into Egypt, and he actually planted and founded the first church in Alexandria, Egypt, and then he fathered the church in the entire country of Egypt. So this guy who was a quitter, this guy who was around at the beginning of the church and saw all of it happen, the guy who abandoned Apostle Paul, this guy who ran out of the Garden of Gethsemane, this guy who kept running home to his mom's house, this millennial, becomes the head of the church in an entire country. I had a mentor years ago, and I, I would actually say to him, I want to move to this point in my life, and I want to do this, and I want to do that. And he'd say, Michael, you're going to have to let the Lord gift you with experience. You're going to have to let him gift you with the time. If we went back and talked to Mike Lee, I think the military would call it time in grade. And I think Paul grasped something about John Mark, that he needed time. John Mark was a man who was a, a deserter. He abandoned Paul when he needed him. And yet he becomes the writer with the Apostle Peter of the, one of the four canonical Gospels. He becomes the person the Apostle Paul wants beside him in his final moments and years of life. Paul literally wants Timothy, his son in the faith, and John Mark with him at the end. This guy who left him is the one that Paul wants. No man 
or woman or young person needs to stay where they are. And John Mark is proof positive that we can change. We can become. This Jesus can actually take the failure and the shame of sin and turn it into the platform of ministry. John Mark's entire ministry became built upon this thing he kept leaving and the Lord brought him back and used him as a foundation on which to build the church. It's an incredible story. Are you ready to go the distance? Or like John Mark, is there something in your life where you're thinking about bailing out on? Are you thinking of quitting? When I met Abby for the very first time, I don't think she's in here this morning. She's with the kids. But I was in that same difficult spot, and she had no idea I was even a Christian. Didn't even know I was a believer. And I told her one, she asked me a question, and I told her one little thing about my life, and it was enough for her to know that things were tough. And she looked at me, and she said, you know what, Michael, I believe in a guy that can take something that's been broken and make something beautiful out of it. And I fell in love right there. <laughs> but see, that is actually Paul's story. That's John Mark's story. That's my story. And I suspect that's some of your stories. And I don't know where you are today, and I don't know what's happening, and if we're honest and we all sort of opened our hearts, there's probably something in your life where you go, this is really hard. This is really painful. I want to quit on this. I want to give up on this. I want to bail out on this. I'm done. I can't go anymore. And I want to tell you that we serve a God who wants to take that thing, whatever it is, and turn it around for His glory, because that's what He does. He takes the broken and he can make it beautiful. He can take those spots even where we've quit, where we've failed, where we've given up, where we've let down the people we love. And if we bring those spots to him, he can actually take those and flip those into the thing that we stand on for ministry. He can turn the tide. If you feel like a failure today, I'd actually say to you that is so good because it means that the power of Christ Jesus can come into your heart and the life of Jesus, the strength of Jesus, the love of Jesus can actually become the thing that you stand on, not your good works. Amen? The gospel happens when we come to that point where we go, you know what, I don't have what it takes, but he does. I've shared several little parts of my story today, but there's something at the end of my story that I love. I had a dear friend, and I didn't see him for seven years, one of my best friends, surfing buddy. And I bailed out on our friendship. And I hadn't seen him in these seven years of my life, age like 19 to 26, 27. And uh, I'd been separated from my family and all my friends. I'd been isolated, really tough, ugly number of years. And I went back to him when I finally came to my senses, came home to my father and my earthly parents. And I went back to him, and I'll never forget the day I walked up to his house, and I said, hey, his name is Michael, too. I said, hey, Michael. And I asked his forgiveness for bailing out on the friendship. And he gave me a big hug, and he brought me over to his deck 
and underneath his deck, he reaches under and he pulls out my old surfboard. And he says, you know, I always knew you'd come home. And I've been saving this for you for when you did. I'm not sure where you are on this day. But let me tell you, we serve a Jesus who whatever area of your heart or life is far from him, if you will bring it to him, he will heal it. It'll take time. He will restore it. It may not be in the way you wanted, but he will restore it. He will put it back together. He will mend relationships. He will begin to heal your life. What I love about the God of the Bible, what I love about this Jesus is he takes guys like John Mark who bail out, quitters, mama's boys, millennials, you fill in the blank. And over time, he puts his hand on them and he brings them back home. And he molds them and he shapes them and he rescues them. My question for you today, what areas of your heart or life are far from him? What areas of your heart or life do you want to quit on? Do you want to give up? It might be something huge like Judge Corpening's facing or like Clive and Ruth are facing as they go minister to a church in another country. But it might also be a relationship. It might be your relationship with him. It might be a job. It might be something in your marriage. It might be a brother, a sister. It might be that God would not only want to extend you grace today, but it might be that he would call you to forgive like Paul forgave. Not cheap forgiveness, because when John Mark wasn't ready, what did Paul say? No way, man, you're on the bench. But once the Lord had done his work in John Mark, Paul called him might be that the Lord's actually calling you today to extend forgiveness to some people and to reach back out to them and give them another chance to play on the team with you. Let's pray, and I'm going to have you stand as we do it. Church, here's what I sense in my heart today, is there's some things in your lives that the Lord actually wants to touch. You're going to have to take the fabric of this little message and the passages that we read, and you're going to have to make application in your own life and in your own situation. But if there's an area that you believe that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, wants to restore today, I'm going to ask you just to lift up your hand. We're going to pray. If there's an area you think he wants to touch, I'm going to ask you just to lift up your hand, nothing more. If there's an area that you think he's calling you to go back, maybe you've given up, or you've given up on someone, you think he wants to touch it, lift up a hand. 
Now here's what I know. There are no magic words or magic prayers, but when you bring that thing to him and you give it to him and you go, Lord Jesus, would you forgive? Would you heal? Would you restore? The kingdom of heaven cannot resist that type of attitude. And the very presence of our Christ Jesus will come into that situation and begin that journey of healing. I'm going to do something else that's funny today because I've shared some of my story. I'm going to have my dad come up here and close us in prayer and pray for these healing spots because I did not see this man for seven years and the Lord brought me home. Now he's an elder at Saltbox Church. And whatever you raised your hand for, we're going to ask him to pray for these spots. Because he's the God who heals and he's the God who restores. Yes, Lord, as we pause for these few moments, Lord, there are places of pain. Truth be known in each one of our lives perhaps places of disappointment where we've disappointed ourselves. We feel that somehow we've disappointed you. And yet, Father, you are the God who takes everything and nothing is wasted. And you always turn it as you heal it and you use it for your glory. Would you touch those places of disappointment as we open our hands and release them this morning? I sense that there may be hopelessness in some, having lost the unique hope that is ours. Lord, would you touch those places of emptiness, of hopelessness, would you restore the confidence, our confidence in you, Lord? It is not by our might or power, though sometimes we are deceived into thinking that it is. But it is by the working of your Spirit. So, Holy Spirit, would you be operative this day in each one of our lives, whether it be disappointment or heartache of any type, or hopelessness, God, would you touch and would you begin to restore? Lord, relational uh, fraying, places where relationships have become difficult, where there's nothing less than an impartation of your great grace and mercy and presence that is needed. Lord, would you touch each one of our hearts? where there's relational challenge, where there's difficulty, would you begin to recreate something fresh and new in each heart for whom that may be true? 
We sang a song earlier today, Lord, that suggested that some of us are listening to the lies and the chirping, the muttering, the voices of other people. And Lord, we know that the enemy is the accuser of those who believe. And so, Lord, I pray that you would begin to speak tenderly and mercifully to each one of our hearts, that we would begin to hear your appraisal of us. God so loved you that he gave his only begotten Son. Lord, would you enable us to believe that afresh today, that if we were the only person alive on planet Earth, your love is so abundant, so amazing, that you still would have sent your Son to redeem us. We praise you this morning, Lord. Maybe we're just in a dry place. Lord, I pray that you, the giver of life, the water of life, would begin to shower fresh mercy, fresh grace upon each one of our hearts. Lord, so that once again we might experience the bubbling up of water, unto eternal life, so that out of our innermost being shall flow even rivers. Lord, restore joy where it has been sapped, where it has been stolen. Restore hope. Lord, restore confident assurance in who we are, more importantly, who you are in us. Lord, cause us to grasp afresh the hope that Christ in us is the hope of glory. Lord, there is no place too great for you to touch. There is no loss too immense for you to restore. Would you be about what only you can be about today, drawing us to yourself? touching those deep recesses of our lives and restoring us unto wholeness. Lord, cause us to be grasped by your word and cause us to then cling to it so that we might, in the final analysis, believe you. Your word says, let every man be a liar. But God, you are never one who would deceive. So fill us. Fill us afresh with your Spirit. Let your Word be active and sharp within us. And Lord, for that, we will be careful to give you all of the praise. In Jesus' name. If you need special prayer, there'll be a number of us up here who are available. As you go this week, go in the reality that it's not how many times you've left, it's have you come back.
Go carrying that message because there's a world of people out there who need it. We love you.